over the summer. Uh, I had my birthday in August, and uh, you organized a little something for me uh, that I want to acknowledge here today on Matinee Minutia. Uh, I had quite a surprise, uh, and it was something you masterminded. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was going to be appearing on <clears throat> a show of our friend uh, Paul Chandler, uh, to kind of promote matinee minutia. I experienced a, a nice birthday surprise engineered by DJ. Uh, I thought I was going on someone's podcast. It ended up being a Zoom full of uh, friends of mine who showed up and participated to wish me a happy birthday. And it was just a delight and an utter surprise. And I must thank you, DJ, for really uh, an extraordinary... Uh, event and uh, I most appreciate everything you did there why hello there Mr. Smelly it's good to see you I'm glad you're able to make it in tonight on this fair brisk summer evening yeah uh, falls in the air uh, happy beginning of season three DJ yes thank you I'm so glad to be here Who'd have known all those shows ago when we were sitting down to watch my dad's favorite, uh, maybe dirty movie, uh, maybe sci-fi movie. Wait, what was that again? It was a comic book, wasn't it? Barbarella. Uh, anyways, we're here for season three and it is September. So fall is just around the corner and we've started feeling those temperatures dip I am ready to go traipsing through those falling leaves. How about you? Yeah, uh, we just had Labor Day. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, having gone to school for so many years, you you, you get to the end of summer, and, and even though I've been out of school for, for 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 decades, that feeling of the summer ending and the fall beginning still makes me think of school and the start of school and the, uh, like a new beginning kind of feeling. And that's sort of uh, uh, why we decided to go with Stand By Me as our premiere for season three, uh, because it has that end of summer uh, beginning of a new era in the lives of these kids. So uh, I thought it was appropriate. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a number of years f since I was in school, too. But every time I see a kid waiting for a bus, it just uh, brings me back to that moment when uh, I was yeah. leaving the house for the day and I didn't have to pay bills yet. Right, right. <laughs> Before we get our, our showgirl down uh, onto the stage here, she's out of breath. She just came in under the wire. <laughs> I sure did. Oh boy, are my arms tired. Anyways, you know the routine. <laughs> Hi, boys. You know, oh, and uh, if you uh, subscribe to us and you listened to uh, a little show we had, a little mini show between our our break there, Gertie called us oh, yeah. from the Midwest to let us know she might be a little late tonight, and uh, well, she <laughs> had a gig at a place called the Bunker. Now. Gertie, tell us a little about the bunker. Were were you uh, like a USO gal dressed up oh. for that? Oh, USO. Yeah, that's what it was. Perfect. Uh, perfect story. If you believe that, uh, you know, 
you have a, a, a pole and you dance around it and you're semi-naked. Anyways, you are so tour perfect. Uh, good cover, DJ. <laughs> Anyways, oh boy, and, it uh, was so much fun. Now, uh, when you were on the phone to us, uh, you you had a mister in the background there. What happened to him? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> well, that's uh, Henry. <laughs> oh, boy, that he is. Uh, we're sort of an item now. Yeah. And, um, well, um, it's a new thing. I'm kind of into it. Um and uh, it's nice to be wanted. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, it sure is. And uh, speaking of being wanted, could you get yourself down there to the stage? Because we need to oh, yeah. tell the folks about tonight's show. Yeah, yeah. Start of season three. I'm at the top of my gang. The game, boys. All right, let me go down there. Okay, okay. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. All right. Well, there she goes. <laughs> oh, she's uh, very excitable tonight, isn't she? Yeah, sure is. She sure is. She's like... um. Oh, a little Catholic schoolgirl, I think. A bad way! <laughs> Let me do it! Okay. Jay. All right. In the last summer of their youth, four New England boys set out on an adventure when a missing kid turns up dead. Driven by their curiosity, the friends follow the train tracks, sharing stories revealing their strengths and weaknesses along the way. Pack yourself a bedroll and some sandwiches and some Pez candies. There'll be tears, laughter, <laughs> and vulgarity. What else do you expect of 12-year-old boys? It's time for Stand By Me. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen, a pinch of golden oldies, and a smidgen of screaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Very nice. And uh, every year, uh, DJ tinkers with our opening intro. <clears throat> this is his third one. He does a good job. By the way, I want I this is my night to compliment DJ. <laughs> you know, he deserves. No, I want you to know that um, every intro that Gertie has uh, for every single episode of Matinee Minutia is written by DJ, and I always think he does a great job. Um, so thank you, DJ. Thank you. So, uh, Toppy, this was a show that, uh, made you think of your growings up, your youth. It gave you a, a memory of boyhood. And, uh, tonight we're going to be sharing that with our listeners. I, I think that we should note that, uh, a very sad occasion has passed as on this day as we're recording this. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away. So, um, you know, if maybe you haven't participated in the election process in the past, now would be a good time because uh, with the loss of such a person making important decisions for this country, we need somebody in office who's going to pick her replacement. So... Uh, anyways, yeah, on to that, I, uh, uh, that just happened right 
well, <clears throat> I didn't know about it until minutes before getting online tonight. So, bit of a shocker. Um, so, uh, DJ, tonight's movie, Stand By Me, it's about a group of kids just before going back to school, embark on an adventure to find um, basically the body of, of some kid who has been known to have uh, perished out in the woods somewhere, and their mission becomes uh, to be the the people that, uh, the group that finds the body. And on their way, a lot of things happen. In all our lives, there's a fall from innocence. A time after which we are never the same. It happened in the summer of 1959. A long time ago. You guys want to go see a dead body? I bet you anything that if we find him, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure, we'll be heroes. Yeah. Just supposing that I told the story. Do you think that anyone would have believed it? This is really a good time. The most a blast. Again, let's say hi to the chat room. Aunt Tudor, who's always here. Your husband, Billy. We've got Logan Nagal. We have R.T. Cruiser from tomorrow. Yes, he's from the land down under, all the way from Australia. So glad to have you here, R.T. We've got our pal, Tommy Hashbrowns. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I, I saw Crone poke in and out. She's probably listening. Um on her phone, so hi to Crone Haven as well. So, DJ, oh my goodness, uh, this movie came out in 1986. Tell us what was going on in the world at that time. The U.S. history in 1986. This is our third trip down memory lane to 86. It's actually the first time with a movie, though. Uh, the first federal Martin Luther King Jr. Day... Uh, was instated in 86, honoring the memory of Dr. Martin Luther King, is observed. 
first group of artists are inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that year, and it included Elvis, James Brown, and Little Richard. Certainly, probably favorites of the boys in tonight's film. The Space Shuttle Challenger and crew was lost to a launch disaster. I remember it well. I was in grade school. Corazon Aquino became the first Filipino woman president. And in the top of the box office that we'll be revisiting in a little bit, Top Gun, Tom Cruise's big film, was released and became the highest grossing film of the year. It hit $177 million in the U.S. alone. Also in 86, the, uh, the um, talk show host, famed uh, for her own channel more recently, Oprah Winfrey, debuted. And at the tender age of 20, Mike Tyson. Yeah, he later bit an ear and got a face tattoo. He became the youngest heavyweight champion after defeating Trevor Burbick in Las Vegas. And uh, before seeking re-election, Ronald Reagan. Well, he saw the unemployment rate during his first term drop to 6.6%. The lowest since 1980. (laughs) Now, speaking of the other part of 86, when the stork came to call, Toppy, who are some of the people that entered the world that year? Well, we have Lady Gaga, pop artist, amazing. We have Amanda Bynes, actress, uh, with a lot of Disney projects. We got Megan Fox, the model and actress. We got Shia LaBeouf, the actor. We got Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, those cute little twins that are, I don't know, not so cute anymore. Uh, (laughs) We have Drake Bell, the actor and musician. Lindsay Lohan, another former Disney actress and singer. And Leah Michelle, uh, another actress and singer, all born in 86. Okay, well, uh, competing for your attention in 86 in the theater, because uh, Stand By Me, it was a release on the silver screen. And, uh, you know, going right along with our record here, because if you listen to the voicemail, uh, we are home of the hits that fell from the box office. Stand By Me (laughs) was lucky number 13 that year. Brought in $52 million and... uh, just an honorable mention, top five or Top Gun at 176 million with Tommy Cruise. Crocodile Dundee, it was number two, 174 million with Paul Hogan. Hey, RT. <laughs> hey, we, we, uh, RT, chime in in the chat room. Was, was, was Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee just totally bogus to you Australians? <laughs> or, I don't know, do you guys respect it at all? I, I, uh, I hear down under they don't really consider Fosters to be a local beer. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So uh, what else did we, we have got, uh, uh, after Crocodile? We got Karate Kid Part Two when he was in Okinawa. It was number three, and it had 115 million. Now that also featured an actress that was in uh, the new Picard series. She got to play a uh, a Romulan. 
Oh, yes, and winding things down with the last two at the top five. Back to school, a personal favorite with Rodney Dangerfield was number four. It was 91 million. And Sigourney Weaver's uh, much-anticipated sequel, Aliens, was number five at 85 million. Now, I know what you're going to ask me. Stand By Me was number 13. What was the closest competition? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the one just a hair ahead was The Color of Money at number 12. 52 million. That seems like like forever ago that The Color of Money came out. No, I have heard of this movie, and I've probably seen parts of it, but now I want to go see from start to finish because of our conversations we have here the minutiae uh color of money has paul newman and tom cruise that sounds like an interesting pairing and uh, yeah it, it was a sequel of sorts to a decade or so earlier movie with paul newman um that had paul newman facing off against jackie gleason in a, uh, a game of pool and um, doggone if I can remember what the hell that movie was called. <laughs> hmm. Maybe someone in the I chat don't... room will give us the answer. Yeah. And yeah. then, oh, uh, the hustler. Ah. There you go. Tommy had it. It was called the hustler. And uh, on the rung just below stand by me at number 14 was a film called legal Eagles. Now this uh, brought in 49 million in 86 and it starred Robert Redford and Deborah Winger. Whatever happened to her? Uh, let's get right into the cast uh, of Stand By Me. I think <clears throat> we might as well just start right off with Will Wheaton, uh, probably still one of the best known. He was born in Burbank. Um, he did a lot of appearances on television, <clears throat> uh, starting out in the commercials. I think he did one for Jello with Bill Cosby in the early 80s. And he had small roles in three films prior to Stand By Me. <clears throat> Stand By Me was his first leading role. I guess you'd call him the lead. Yeah, he was the lead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shortly after, uh, of course, famously, uh, after Stand By Me, he was cast in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, where he appeared in uh, some subsequent 85 episodes. And uh, he was uh, uh, the first cast member of the new series to be born after the original Star Trek of the 60s uh, was even conceived. Um, He did uh, uh, quite a few movies, and uh, some of them after Stand By Me, uh, he was uh, in a, another four or five movies, kind of faded, really, from acting to uh, a good deal, and instead has led his voice on several animated uh, series like uh, Teen Titans and Ben 10. And uh, he sort of resurfaced more recently on TV on The Big Bang Theory, and he's host of something called CBS's The Ready Room. So uh, he's still out and about, and Will Wheaton uh, lives with um, <clears throat> some uh, mental illness that he is not shy about talking about and supporting, and uh, it's generalized anxiety disorder and chronic depression, and he supports the mental health nonprofit organizations that uh, 
uh, raise awareness of those conditions. So I don't know. It seems to me for quite a while there, he was also one of the original Twitter. I don't know. All I know is that when Twitter started, it was Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton on Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's all I remember. Yeah, and he also had a short-lived uh show on sci-fi channel it was based on a blog that he used to run and he actually was on a series that was one of it first of its kind it was a web-based series called the guild and it was actually a series about people who do online gaming and um i'm forgetting her name right now but there's uh, an actress that was in uh a project with Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, the project was uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I, this is an actress that I've met at one of our sci-fi conventions, but Will Wheaton had a part in that uh, web series called The Guild, where he was a, a gamer. So, All right. Well, uh, on to our next person in the cast. So starring alongside Will Wheaton was Mr. River Phoenix. Now, sadly, Mr. Phoenix is no longer with us. His star burned out too young. But River was the son of migrant workers. He spent his early years in South America. He was a musician, a vegetarian, and an animal rights activist. Some might say his folks were sort of hippies. River's first film role was in a feature called Explorers, which is one of my favorites. And uh, it's basically a story about some kids who get together and they build a spaceship. And um, one of the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the uh, the members of the, uh, the cast uh, has a, a scientist father, so he's the brain. And uh, they use his computer to, uh, you know... Uh, make the ship fly. So that had Ethan Hawke in it in 85. Um, now, uh, that was also by the director of Gremlins, so uh, it wasn't, you know, no small affair. River would also land eight film roles in the next five years before being in Stand By Me, and another five after that before his unexpected passing. In fact, his last film project... Um, was amidst filming, and they actually had to scrap the film because there wasn't enough of it finished. Oh, all right. Tommy uh, in the chat room um, reminds us that uh, that uh, Joe Dante was the director of that movie um, that you mentioned uh, uh, with Ethan Hawke and okay. The Explorers. Yes. Um, so we got another uh, a young actor at the time, um, Corey Feldman. <laughs> uh, so his he also started in commercials. He was in a, a McDonald's gift certificate commercial. Uh, he had a lot of small roles in films prior to Stand By Me. He was in Gremlins. And also famously, probably most, uh, The Goonies in 1985. Uh, also, he would appear in six films during the next five years. That included License to Drive with Corey Haim and Carol Kane. That was in 88. In 89, he was in The Burbs with Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher. And uh, DJ, uh, it's important to note how the story originated and who was writing what. Mm-hmm. 
So um, this was an adaptation. The original story itself was a, a novella, a short story by uh, well-noted author Stephen King. Now, of course, uh, Stephen King was no stranger to having his stories turned into films. The other year, we uh, did one of his own films that uh, was turned into, well, a story that was turned into a film, The Shining, which, of course, famously, Stephen King could not stand Stanley Kubrick's take on his story. But uh, Mr. Reynold Gideon did the screenplay adaptation of Stephen King's story, which was called The Body at the time it was published. Now, Mr. Gideon also worked on another film that's one of my favorites from just a couple of years before. In 1984, with Jeff Bridges, Mr. Gideon wrote Starman. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Jeff Bridges, 1984. Mm-hmm. So we got uh, the director and the producer, Rob Briner. Um, who is son of the famed actor-writer Carl Reiner. Now, Carl Reiner goes way back in the history of TV for, uh, to the very beginning. Um, and his really solid success was being behind the Dick Van Dyke show as, uh, as the writer, uh, the head writer, and the creator of that show. He's since gone on to do so many things, uh, directing movies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Carl Reiner, oh, jeepers. The, the only film that jumps out at me is um, the first movie with um, uh, Steve Martin, The Jerk. But he's directed many other movies besides The Jerk. It's just the only one that, that came out. That's Carl Reiner, the father of Ron Reiner, who directed Stand By Me. So, he was the son of a very famous writer, and um, Rob Reiner has a total of at least 26 directing credits to this day. Stand By Me was his third movie. He'd previously directed kind of an underground uh, cult favorite. It's called This Is Spinal Tap. And it's about a, a metal band, but it, it's a documentary, but it's it's a spoof. It's a spoof of the documentary genre and also of heavy metal bands um, that, you know, has, is, is just a little secret delight uh, of a movie. Um, he went on uh, to direct three more films in the next three years. He did Princess Bride, certainly. Oh, my goodness. One of my absolute favorites. Incredible. Yes, inconceivable. And uh, when Harry met Sally, his wonderful, just lovely little rom-com. I'll have what she's having. Yeah. And, of course, uh, he met up with Stephen King once again for misery. I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, So, um, in, in the past five years... Rob Brainer's still in there. He did three films in the past five years. So he's still in there. And uh, Stephen King famously told Rob Brainer after screening Stand By Me, Stephen King was quite emotionally uh, stunned by the movie. And he told Rob Brainer, this is the best film of anything I've written 
that anyone's ever done. And Rob Reiner, uh, Rob Reiner was very, very proud of that as he should be. So there you go. Um, Well, quite a movie. mm -hmm. I chose it because, because I said, uh, as I said, at the start of school year and the new feeling of like, oh, you can sort of start over. Um, this was kind of a buddy movie and kind of a like on the road movie where things happened to them as, as they went along. And they were three very close friends, very different characters, all of them. I got to ask DJ, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember like these kids are like, right at the end of junior high and about to go into high school, as I recall, do you, did you have like a group of friends like this? Well, um, you know, good point. It, this was a time for me that I certainly remember that time where you're not yet a teenager. Cause, uh, I was about to become an uncle since I was the youngest of four. Everyone is ahead of me in the game. My, uh, one sister got married at 17 and I was about to become an uncle. And we had also moved for the first time that I was old enough to remember. So I had to change schools and I did have to get a new group of friends. Um, we didn't get into the kind of uh, mayhem that the boys in Stand By Me did, but I do remember once sneaking into an apartment where someone may have just moved in or moved out. There wasn't any furniture, and uh, we snuck a stick of pepperoni from someone's fridge. (laughs) (laughs) DJ, I hate to jump in here, Mm -hmm. but your husband, Billy, has been diligently trying to get at least my attention. (laughs) <laughs> because I've been in the general chat room all this time. I have Oopsie. not been in the Matt Minutia chat room. So thank you, Billy, because I finally said, I read your message. <laughs> Is he talking to me? And I said, sure enough, I'm not in the main chat room, but I am now. Oh. I, now, I, now I can see what uh, you guys, by the way, anybody else, there's the general chat room, and then the chat room you want to be in is is actually labeled matinee minutia. Right. So if, if shift right over there if you're like me and <laughs> just just forgot yourself. Well, the quick way to get there is to actually go to matineeminutia.com. Now, if you go to univospods.net, which is great because we want you to support our other shows, that link for Discord is going to send you to our directory because, in theory, we have other live shows from time to time. So we are at about halfway through our show. We're going to take a step right on over here to the snack bar where our uh, sweet senior showgirl has your favorite treats on hand. And... Uh, We are going to take a brief break to listen to some things that Mr. Will Wheaton had to say about um, the reflection of the effect of uh, Stand By Me on modern culture. It's me, Kevin Smith, at Meltdown Comics in Los Angeles, getting ready for Comic-Con International, man, and IMDb at San Diego Comic-Con, where we're going to talk to all the movers and shakers and see everything that's going on in Comic Weekend. And speaking of movers and shakers, there's one mover and shaker next to me, ladies and gentlemen, who is con royalty. Give it up to the great, the immortal, Will Wheaton. Will, This is all a way of saying, like, your geek bona fides are legit. You've done 
Star Trek, which of course is massive in our pop culture world. You've also dwelled in Stephen King world as well, man. One of the most yeah. high profile things you did in your childhood was Stand By Me. Yeah. Which like even now echoes decades later when you watch Stranger Things, you can't help but feel the element. My wife and I were watching Stranger Things. So we get to this episode where they're walking down train tracks and I just get like really tense and like I leaned over to my wife and I was like, that's not, that's not an accident, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's Stand By Me, right? I mean, they're doing homage to all this other stuff, right? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, I, I kind of think it is. And then I heard that the Duffer Brothers, when they auditioned the kids, they had them read scenes from Stranger Things, but they also had them read scenes from Stand By Me. Are you kidding? They wanted to cast kids who were able to relate the way we were able to relate to each other. That is such a huge compliment to Rob Reiner, who cast That's all of us say, and put us that, in that movie. Is that how you guys wound up together in Stand By Me? It was yeah. Rob Reiner going, I like this chemistry. Yeah. Had any well, of you knew, known each other prior? I knew River and his family uh -huh. because in the weirdest coincidence, River and his family lived literally around the block from me. Are you I, kidding, I, really? It, it's so weird. And the reason that I knew them is they were the kids who all had the weird nature names. Right. That was how I knew all of them. But we weren't really close right. until we started filming. And then we were really close right up until about 18 months or two years before he died. The, one of the reasons that I think that movie endures so much is that Anybody can relate to it, whether you grew up in an urban or rural area, because everybody has those kinds of friendships. Vern, there's something on your neck. Yeah, right, I'm not falling for that one, the chance. No, Vern, there is something on your neck. It's Leech. Leech! Oh, my God! The characters are so archetypical. Mm -hmm. um, but Rob just cast four boys who were basically those characters. And it's kind of weird, like, how we all kind of grew up and have lived out the adult lives of those characters as presented in the fiction. Like, I'm primarily a writer now. And, and like, I really made a name for myself as a writer by telling narrative nonfiction stories about my childhood. And that You're going to make me cry, dude. It's like yeah, watching it's, a real-life sequel to Stand By Me. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's really... Um, it's really weird when I stop to think about it, and I and I stop to think about like how all of us have have just like it was it was prophetic, you know. Right. And we are back. So, Toppy, case in point here, you were asking me about uh, that time frame in my life, and uh, you know the folks that I hung out with. Now the spotlights on you, sir. The hot seat. Did you have <laughs> influential friends? Did you get into trouble? No, we didn't get into trouble. We were goody two shoes. So yeah, the the guys I hung out with were all fellow uh, spazzes. They were fellow nerds. Uh, they like me were oddballs that didn't fit in anywhere. Um, and we stuck together and, and had a, a solid bond. And uh, we 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 did fun things projects together that were all incredibly nerdy on their own. Uh, and uh, one of the things I, I noticed that in, in Stand By Me, that the kids are kind of, the four boys are kind of macho. Uh, there's, a, there's a machismo that they're going for. And there's a lot of, uh, like when River Phoenix will uh, kick uh, Will Wheaton in the fanny as they're walking. And a lot of punching the other in the shoulder and that kind of thing. And uh, my friends and I, well, we, we never, never did anything that macho. Uh, so that was one difference. But I have to say, uh, there's a line um, at the very, very end of the movie. And 
uh, Richard Dreyfus is back narrating. And uh, he says, although I haven't seen him, he's speaking of the character portrayed by River Phoenix, who he's just revealed uh, died um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he says, although I haven't seen him for over 10 years, I know I'll miss him forever. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus does anyone? And I have to say, mm, those friends I had when I was 12, all my fellow nerds kind of feel that way. Uh, we had an unbreakable bond. Um, and so that really spoke to me. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, around that age, that some of the things that I was doing in school was uh, we were pretending to write a play. And we used to have, uh, you know, differences of opinions on how the story was supposed to end. And I don't think we ever finished actually writing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I have to confess, before you mentioned watching this for our season premiere, this is one of those films that possibly because of the the uh, time frame that it was set in, it was, essentially it's loosely based on Stephen King's childhood. So this is supposed to be the late 50s. So, you know, that post-war era before we have gotten involved in Vietnam. But there's certainly the machismo that you were talking about. So on the surface level, I guess maybe I never gave this movie a chance because... It was all about boys who were just uh, being dirty and smelly and nasty with each other. And I didn't give it another thought. I thought, no, that's not the kind of movie I want to watch. And so, of course, now being an older person, I think back to that period of my life. And I think, you know, I got up to no good once in a while. And uh, as, actual, as I sat down to watch it, I thought... I wish I watched it when I was younger because you have these important moments where you're with your friends. It helps to shape, you know, who you later become. And they have these moments of tenderness between each other, not to get all sappy, but, you know, you've got this uh, very important scene with River Phoenix and um, Will Wheaton's character where he's sitting down and he's telling him about the time that an adult disappointed him that they you know they were they um they had a chance to do right by him but they uh, to use today's terminology they threw him under the bus that's when the teacher uh wouldn't confess that he did not steal the milk money and they pocketed it themselves mm -hmm. uh there was so much to that i don't know when you're that young and impressionable, one instance of something like that can really mislabel you in, in others' eyes and just send you down the wrong track. That's how, I think, to me, that's how delicate our lives are at that stage. Um, and, you know, his, his entire life was affected by that one thing. And he was always sort of the rascal or the ne'er-do-well. 
And one of the latter scenes at the end, he's crying and, and confiding to Will Wheaton again in a private scene between the two of them that he just wished he could go somewhere where nobody knew him, where he could start over. And boy, have I had, I mean, for me, going away to college, that's what it was all about. I wanted to start over. I was going someplace where nobody knew me as the schleppy, dopey nerd kid. And I was going to start everything all over. <laughs> Anyways, I tried. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have a clip about uh, Will Wheaton's talking about River Phoenix in that moment there where uh, yeah. he was trying to uh, break through the tears. River was sort of frustrated. Like he wasn't, he didn't feel like he was connecting to the scene. He wasn't like really, he just wasn't there, he felt. So I said, well, I'll let you talk to the director and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I'm going to walk away and go play Mattel handheld football or something. And uh, they came back and River was really different. There was something just profoundly different about him. Um, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And we shot the scene, and River was very much a different person for the duration of that scene. I found out later that he was just saying to Rob, I don't know how to do this. And Rob said, I just want you to think about a time where someone really wronged you, where, where, where someone did a really terrible thing to you and no one would stand up for you. And I guess River had a moment like that in his life. And if you think about it, like... River's parents were in, like, a couple of different weirdo cults when he was growing up. And so he spent time during his formative years where, as a child, you want your parents to sort of be protecting you. Like, playing the guitar on the street in South America or Central America or something like that to, like, you know, feed his family and, and stuff, you know? And when River came back from around the corner to, to film that scene, he had this emotional weight around him that if that freaked me out at the time because like as a little kid like i didn't know what to do with that you know um and when the scene was done he was sort of quiet for the rest of the day and then was sort of back to the way he had always been the the very next day uh speaking of rob reiner and how he worked with these young actors um there's a great uh bit that i believe i heard in the uh the backtrack. What what do they call these things? They they were doing all oh, behind the scenes. Yeah, behind the scenes. Uh, it was another anywhere. Uh, you you could turn the track to the director and and a couple of other people's talking about the movie. Why you watch the movie? And Rob Reiner got uh, the movie got to the point. Uh, the the wonderful train sequence where they are on a very long bridge that is spanning the length of this chasm and they're not even halfway through it when a train is coming. And so it's, it's just, it's a very tense, exciting scene with the kids running on the trestles, uh, really high up off the ground. And uh, the train is coming right up behind them. And uh, Rob Reiner talks about, he says, I just couldn't get these kids to believe they were in danger. I mean, whatever I told them to do, they just weren't convincingly afraid. Uh, he said, I, 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 they just didn't really seem afraid. 
And so he decided that the only way he was going to get the performance he wanted is if he went psycho raving nuts on them. <laughs> and he yelled at them and said, you better start running or I'm going to get the bug. You can better and they really became afraid <laughs> and he got the performance he wanted so i thought that was a an interesting observation by rob Reiner. the kinds of things you sometimes have to do um to elicit uh the, the emotional response you want you know it reminds me of when we learned about how many times poor shelley duvall had to repeat those scenes in the shining because Ugh. as I was learning about Stand By Me and the production of it, uh, that scene that you were talking about just now, apparently they spent a week trying to perfect. Yeah. yeah. By the way, the, the way they made it look so convincing was the use of a very um, specific lens that brought the... Uh, the background way up close to the foreground. And so that train really was on the tracks, but it was way, way back on the tracks. The kids were in no danger whatsoever, but because of this particular lens they used, when you're looking at those kids running towards the camera, that train looks like it is just a couple of yards behind them. But uh, that's how they achieved that. It, uh, they, they were in absolutely no danger. So, uh, you know, just uh, rounding things out, a little bit of trivia about Stand By Me that you may not know. Uh, Mr. Kiefer Sutherland, who played sort of the bully, you know, he stole Will Wheaton's uh, cap in the beginning of the film. And uh, it should be noted that uh, Will Wheaton's character had a brother who passed away before the film started. He was his older brother who... Uh, died unexpectedly, and uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character stole his brother's ball cap. Um, but uh, off the set, Kiefer wanted to keep in character, so he, he kept uh, picking on the younger boys. And also, uh, apparently, according to Kiefer Sutherland, there is a Renaissance fair nearby at one of the locations they are filming, and uh, little Jerry O'Connell that played Vern... Well, he supposedly had some of the funny cookies that were there, and he was found crying by himself later. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, so. you, you know, uh, Will Wheaton talked about video games in that clip. Well, that guy, he rigged the video games at the hotel they were staying at, so you could play them for free. There you go. It's interesting when you, when you hear about behind the scenes and like, you know, these people had, had a life, you know, they, they did go to work and sometimes the hours were long, but they did go back to whatever place was home at the time, some hotel here or there or wherever, if they were on location and uh, the things, you know, actors do to amuse themselves are, are sort of infamous. I got to ask you, um, Kiefer, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, mm -hmm. son of Donald Sutherland. There were, uh, the first time I saw this movie, there were a number of times I was completely taken out of the movie for a number of different reasons. Now, one, and the chat room join in um, and DJ too, but uh, the villain that Kiefer Sutherland played in this movie 
at the time, I thought, God, this is so over the top. I mean, they're they're acting like they're really going to kill each other. Like, I mean, and I thought, you know, these stakes are too high. They're just kids. What you know, and and yet, um, yeah, I mean, there's a gun involved, and and that took me out of the movie. And I just felt like, come on, this is. You know, this is crazy. These are just kids. They're, nobody gets involved in this kind of thing. And then I thought later on in subsequent viewings that the villainy and the conflict was heightened because when you're that age and you've got someone just a little bit older, you can really be intimidated. Um, and I thought, okay, now I get it because I did feel intimidated by Kiefer Sutherland in this movie and his gang. And maybe at the time I first watched it, I thought, God, this is just too much. I mean, this is, this is too dangerous. I don't like this. But later on, I felt like, you know, I, if I was those kids age and, and Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, Sutherland was on my ass, I would have been effing intimidated for sure. How, how did you feel about the older kids and the way they were portrayed and the, the introduction of the gun? And, and, and I mean, I'm okay with it now, but originally it really took me out. You know, it, it strikes me uh, that uh, a movie like this probably couldn't be as easily made nowadays just simply because of the fact that you have minors appearing on screen in next to nothing. And so that's something that they try to avoid because, well, there are bad people in this world. But I agree with you that there are moments in there that are actually kind of shocking. And it sort of helped me when I realized that the mind behind the original story was one Stephen King. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, creative decisions being what they are, one of the things that was mentioned in some of the, the minutiae is that Rob Reiner made the decision as he was developing the, uh, the story into the film that even though originally in, in The Body by Stephen King, the lead character was not uh, Gordy, Will Wheaton's character, he would become it because in his mind's eye, Gordy was Stephen King. And so some of the changes that took place were like the pie eating contest. And uh, he said that he decided to make it cartoonish when it came to that. It's interesting. You bring that up. Um, uh, Hold that thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but that's another scene that took me out. Uh, When I saw that scene, it was so broad and comically portrayed that I said, where are they going with this movie? This is so stupid. And I, I said, this doesn't fit in with anything that I've been watching. It's so broadly comic. I mean, this, the, the projectile vomiting. And I just, I just thought to myself, oh, what, what are they doing? Again, subsequent viewings, I started to love it. But that's another scene that just totally took me out of the movie the first time I saw it. Go go ahead, DJ. Oh, and, you know, I was just going to say that I think that if, if a movie like this were made today, one of the things they probably do would be, um, you know, take advantage of technology 
And they probably would do more like flashback scenes. So when the boys were all relating with each other and letting their guards down, you might have seen some of those moments that, you know, led to them crying, like when the teacher let him down or maybe when a parent was uh, too rough. Mm hmm. What did you think about the scene where the the one tough kid with the with the bad ear because his father slammed him upside the head or whatever? Oh yeah, or, Corey. Or, um, uh, when he uh, is facing down another train that's that's coming in, he, he's standing on the tracks in, in kind of one of those dare things, like he's going to leap out of the way at the last possible second. Um, that really moved me. Just just the. Uh, um, that, that character, you know, freaked, had a couple freak outs during the movie. That was one. And there was another time where he, he just, uh, became violent and out of control. You know, and um, it was so, it's well written for those scenes because that is the way, you know, a, a young adult or a child reacts to a situation because, um, you know, uh, he he was uh, in in the scene that we're referring to is when they were sneaking through the junkyard. The junkyard owner just kind of puts him on the spot there. They're they're uh, they're making fun of him and calling him overweight, and he tells them, "I know who you are. Each of your parents is going to get a call from me." And not only does he tell each of them who they are, but he picks on Corey Feldman's character, which. Um, some of the minutia I've read is that Corey Feldman may have actually been one of those cases in the eighties where a child actor divorced his parents. Um, okay. but, uh, anyways, I, you know, with that mean spirited, uh, childish, you know, a mentality that I remember, and I know this is stepping out of the box a little bit. I remember as a child, I was overweight, but, uh, I had a stay at home parent, and he was on disability. He had uh, hurt himself on the job, and that was part of why he was a stay-at-home parent. But I remember being the last one at home. All my siblings had graduated and had left home, being teased by my classmates because my father was a stay-at-home parent. And they just simply saw him as being lazy. So in gym class, when it came to athletics, since... I was a heavy set child and I wasn't athletic. That was their uh, their nerve that they pressed was that uh, you know you're no better than your dad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I I have no uh, uh, trivia or behind the scenes about how they got that performance out of out of him when he just raged out. Um, at that adult and you know just kind of went a little crazy uh pretty convincing i mean the, the it was totally believable so many scenes in this movie are, are so memorable the leech scene the train scene uh the scene where they're they're just chatting around the campfire about trivial things of the day like pez candies and <laughs> so many interesting things um and, uh, <laughs> yeah uh the one uh, one scene that i called just super magical that that uh, struck me the first time i saw it uh, and remained like maybe one of the most memorable things was uh after the leech scene 
which was very traumatic for Will Wheaton's character. Um, he awakens from a nap, or perhaps it's early morning, and sees a deer. Uh, who's very uh, the deer is very close to him, and he he just lifts his head and and looks kind of in fascination at this deer that's almost within reach. And to me, that was one of the the greatest scenes. It was, it was just so magical. And the narration, again, by Richard Dreyfuss, um, says something quite poignant like, uh, and I've never mentioned this to anyone until this very moment. It's something he kept private to himself. He, ne he didn't tell his friends that this happened. Uh, for all those years, he, he kept that one moment to himself. Hmm. So that that was almost that that was a very see do you have a like a either because it was just damn funny or or poignant or what did, any scene that just stands out for you well i like um the scene where Vern in the beginning of the movie is searching for the pennies that he had buried and oh god yeah <laughs> he just happens to be at the right time at the right place and that sets the stage for the story cuz he overhears the guys in the in the gang talking about the dead kid and so of course if it weren't for Vern being in the right place at the right time the rest of the film wouldn't have happened the same way <laughs> True, but that was funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, when they when they set off on this adventure, it's funny what they collect. You know, they're just dopey. You know, that they're going off <laughs> for a couple three days, and what I don't know, they get cream puffs or something. I don't know. They get all these ridiculous things to eat um, <laughs> that are just uh, you know totally kid things. Um, oh, I love that scene because Vern. You know, the, 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 the chubby kid, he complains to Gordy, Will Wheaton's character, and he's like, couldn't you have gotten, you know, this or that or breakfast food? And he's like, gee, Vern, maybe the next time we go shopping, <laughs> someone else should do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A really phenomenal film for me. Uh, especially, like like I say, I... I, the first time I, I just wasn't sure about it, but then I, I saw it many times after, and and it's for me, it's just gotten more and more wonderful with each viewing. I wonder if it, today, with all those references to Pez, and I don't know, I would anybody get it? Anybody today, you know, that's maybe 14, 15, 20 years old today? I, I suppose they they would get it, wouldn't they? Maybe, but I certainly know one thing. They wouldn't be uh, racing down the tracks because a train's coming up behind them. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Well, Toppy, uh, we are in that part of the show where we let folks know something else they might enjoy if they liked Stand By Me. So uh, I'll go first. Uh, this is what we call our snack tray, our related recommendations. So, um, Stand By Me was a story that was set in the late 50s. Now, I'm going to recommend another story that's a drama about boyhood, also set in the 50s. And this is called This Boy's Life. Now, this is a film that came out in 93, and uh, it has a young Leonardo DiCaprio in it. 
and uh, also stars Robert De Niro. And uh, the setting is a small town called Concrete. And uh, it's about the uh, the harsh reality of this boy growing up with his stepdad, played by Robert De Niro. Hmm. I have not seen this. Interesting. Um, so that was a 1993 movie? Yes. Uh, so my recommendation is... Um, I I yeah I really was stumped for a while. I was trying to think of what other movie do you see from the point of view of children um, that that's that's them looking at at adult behaviors and things um, and um, and I, I thought of To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, with Gregory Peck, the 1962 black and white movie, where, uh, as in the novel, so memorably, the entire story is told from the point of view of the children, particularly uh, the girl. And in many scenes in To Kill a Bockingbird, they're off on an adventure. And it's you experience it completely through them and what they're doing seems like incredibly frightening and exciting and so like yes that is exactly what three kids would be doing at night getting into trouble and you know trying to sneak up on the porch of their neighbors and stuff and uh, so that to kill a mockingbird is what came to mind and I, i would say if you've never seen that and you enjoyed uh, stand by me. You will love to kill a mockingbird. Okay. Well, Tuppy, we are at that part of the show where we let folks know what is coming down the pike. Now, okay. So go ahead and grab me that bag of coins. All right. I'll grab the coins for you and you can open the capsule. There you go. Okay. Here we are. Put it right in here. Ooh, what have we got there? Let me open this up. This is a early to mid 90s sitcom that was once part of the network TGIF lineup. A Miller Boyette production starring former Dallas celebrity Mr. Patrick Duffy. As uh, the the husband starting over with his new life and children, Mr. Frank Lambert, and oh, oh I know the series. It's called the Wait. Man from Atlantis. <laughs> he was right? that, and oh. and on his arm, his blushing bride is none other than the once uh, bombshell of Three's Company, Miss Suzanne Summers. We're talking oh, about step by step, day by well, day. All I can say is spanking the Arthurs uh, seems to be excited, and Tommy Hashbrown said, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> you know, if uh, if you have uh, any fondness for Mr. Patrick Duffy, um, you could just mute the episodes, and he's he's pretty to watch. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Anyways, folks, we hope you enjoyed uh, hearing about Stand By Me. And for heaven's sakes, if you haven't seen it, I sure hope you're inspired to see it now. 
Um, and I, I hope if you have seen it, you uh, relived some of the memories of, of that movie with us tonight. Thank you all for being here, Aunt Tudor, Billy. Uh, Logan, uh, we didn't hear from you in the chat room, but uh, I hope you're listening. Uh, RT Cruiser, um, hope you enjoyed. Uh, Spanky, thanks for coming by. Tommy, thanks for coming as always. Um, and uh, maybe we'll see everybody back next time for Step by Step. <laughs> there and, you go. Or, and, uh, you know, well, get your season passes because this is season three and uh, we've got more to come. So would you do me the honor, sir? Say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.